and welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. And today we're going back in time, people. Ooh. We're going to be going back in time with one of the most amazing Mills and Boone writers. She could do historical better than anyone I know, and I cannot wait to share this with you. And she's been a huge inspiration to me since um, I was suggested to look her up uh, by Nicole Locke. So that'll give you a little bit of teaser. But before we get into that, I have a quick advert for you all. And you know the advert. It is Shadow, the Shadow um, book blurb for Time Guardians by Marianne Curley. The war is over. Sorry, the battle is over. The war is won. The prophecy complete. But life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss and odds with friends in the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows, and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Lathena's death, Giselle swears revenge, and fullify the immortal's plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And a quick reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rao is uh, having a partial of her don- a partial of her royalties is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis along with her agent donating her commission for that novel so make sure you check that uh, roman british crime series out on any uh, platforms you can get novels but you can also find it in most bookstores now let's get on to the fun stuff we've got a woman who can make your knees wobble your hearts race and your palms get sway and uh, that's not just the beginning of it, people. We're going to be going back in time today with Sarah Mallory. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. <laughs> and uh, so today, you know, we're getting to talk with you. You have been a, I would say, a staple in Mills and Boone for some time. You've written some great stuff that's you've sort of done research into Georgian and Regency periods, and you've really put in, I would say, your homework for your novels and your work. And I think that's going to to make the readers here very excited. And uh, you really like remote Scottish Highlands, which touches my heart. So I cannot <laughs> wait to, to talk about that with you. I believe you've got a book that's just come out called The Laird's Runaway Wife. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that book and how, you know, what um, inspired you to write it and how did you end up doing the series? uh, Well, my my publishers, they sent me, they've sent me some copies now. I always, it's, it always feels lovely when you've got a real book in your hands. You know, it's true then. Um, and the Laird's yes, Runaway Wife yep. is, it's the last in the Highland trilogy um, that I started after moving to the Highlands of Scotland. I was inspired. I had 
I had to write something. I just couldn't not write it. Um, and Scotland is absolutely yes. full of history, but it was after spending most of my life indulging in um, the Regency and Georgian period England, suddenly I had to learn a whole new lot of history for Scotland. Um, and the the first in the trilogy, Forbidden to the Highland Laird, is set uh, much earlier, in about um, 1715, 1719. And then I move on to um, the this one, the, the next one was set around Culloden because you can't ignore Culloden. It's such a massive part of Scottish yeah. history. And then the last one, uh, I follow the characters, okay. Grant and Maddie, into their married life, which isn't going quite as well as it looked as though it should. And we have to find them their, their happy ending all over again. So. Um, yeah, it's this one doesn't, is. Doesn't that always seem to be the case, though, when you get married? <laughs> you have to work at it. I think this one they have to work at it a bit hard, a bit harder than most people, shall we say? Uh, it's uh, an adventure, an adventure story, um, bringing in characters that were featured in the earlier book, uh, but also has um, a cameo appearance by Bonnie Prince Charlie. So. Just as a, a little, and it's based oh, on something fantastic. that actually happened. I love that. So I just, you know, I, I just wrote. I the like that it. using the real history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's one thing I find when I do read uh, historicals, um, or when I get the idea from them, it's reading history and and thinking what if, and knowing something could happen, and you just embroider it and. Uh, uh, exactly. Just sort of fit things in. And this is just something that could have happened at that time, based around the, the facts of what we know. So. And that, I mean, that's so exciting because I grew up with a lot of great influences in Shetland. I grew up with the history just constantly around me. Mm like the Viking culture and the settlements that still remained and the old croft houses that you could see no matter where you were going all still existed. And it was like living in history almost. And I think that's why I like reading romances set in history because it, I, I already have that connection. It just allows me to go in and see all mm -hmm. these different stories. And I was really lucky because I found Catherine Cookson at a really young age, which, um, was until much later that my mom realized maybe it wasn't appropriate for an eight, nine-year-old to be reading at the time. <laughs> but it was really good because I learned a connection through her to how people can write exactly how they talk. Here's a woman who was dyslexic and she had a very low education and she ended up becoming a dame and she ended up oh. being given an honorary, you know, sort of... Um, gift from a university to say hey you know you you have done something incredible mm -hmm. and I think um, I think the more that I talk about Catherine I'm hoping it keeps her keeps kind of spreading her a little bit because there's so many people in the states that don't know her and it's kind of sad it kind of hurts my heart just a little bit because especially when they're writing historical because I think mm. she really was a great leader in that 
and I, I get to sort of see other great writers leading the way like yourself and like Rosemary Rowe and well she's Rosemary Aitkins now but Rosemary Aitkins and I get to see Nicole Locke and all these great writers continuing to feel that beautiful historical stories that we would be completely lost without and history is such an important part of our everyday lives mm-hmm. I think it's it's great to see more people capturing capturing that and uh, allowing it to grow yes yeah and I, I, your book just sounds absolutely amazing <laughs> it really does well i i like to have um an accurate historical background it's like a, like a tapestry it's like the background and then i i weave the characters onto onto that that well obviously as soon as you put fi- fictional characters into a background then it's not um it it's bound to distort it a bit um but i like the background to be accurate and things that could have happened at that time and to try and make the characters fairly realistic to to the time you also have to make it uh relevant for a modern reader then you know if, if i put in all the history um yeah once once you've learned a lot of history you think I'm not sure that modern readers want to know all about that. You know, they want they want the romance as well. So it's treading that line between yeah, exactly um, what what happened and and the fantasy that you're writing because it is a fantasy, really. But it could have happened. Where stranger things do happen. I mean, that's exactly <sighs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's it's funny you say that. I. I sat and I really tried to pour myself into a story that had started for me in the Shetlands where we were asked to imagine what happened to this archaeology site where they found this whole village and it was like they had gone poof in the night Mm. because their plates were still set out. There was food on the tables that they could actually find the bones of the food, animals left in their stalls, their swords propped up against what it looked like there was no threat that had made them leave nothing that made them disappear and the only thing that they could find was this um, very wealthy couple who'd been buried together in full dress um, with armor and and everything and then they you know so it's it's a question that the archaeologist asks in Shetland quite frequently and um I got a hold of a book that my dad had for uh, the Knights Templars and that sort of sparked this story in my head of well, what would happen if the Templars were covering up the last bloodline of the Vikings and these princesses were on the run and they were being protected by shield maiden. And I didn't want to put in a lot of the brutality of that time, Mm. but I did pour myself into it. and, And I haven't signed it anywhere and I haven't published it. But to me, it was great to sort of write that because I felt like I was almost embracing all the best writers that mm-hmm. I had had the opportunity to read. So I was getting to embrace Catherine. I was getting to embrace Charlotte Chatswick. I was getting to embrace Jean Pleen and, and Nicole Locke. Uh, Nicole Locke actually, you know, kind of kept prodding me to go write it. Mm-hmm. And then now I get to talk to you about it. And it's kind of... It's amazing. I love this mm. author world because you meet so many fantastic people and you're certainly one of those. And 
yeah, and I, I just love the fact that we're kind of getting to share more of this Highland history that I, I sort of realized recently that a lot of people don't know, and it's being, our history's been very edited, and mm-hmm. people are starting to really believe that, um, you know, what happens on Highlander is the exact, Outlander, I should say, is the exact history of Scotland, which it's not quite, <laughs> no. um, you know, but it's nice. And I, I think when we have somebody who's, and I said this before we came on, who writes with a certain accuracy and an originality like you, it's it's keeping that Scottish belief and life and history alive. And I, I don't think there's enough thank yous in the world that I can say for someone like you to keep oh. doing that for, for us as a Scottish people in a Scottish society. So thank you for right. keeping very nice of you the actual say. history alive, but making yeah. it fun so you're spreading the message. <laughs> Yeah, it was um, it 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 was fascinating to to read up and find the detail. But I mean, there is there is so much Scottish history, and a lot of it is very bloody, I must admit. Um, but it, yeah. it is fascinating. But you can feel it. You're right. You can feel it in the landscape, uh, and when you're when you're travelling around here, it lends itself to. To strong stories, especially adventure stories, I think. So, yeah, it's fabulous. I always think Scottish people were always on the move. We always liked a little bit of excitement and adventure, and and uh, we were not really ones to be homebodies for too long. So, I think that's great, and I think you kind of captured that almost because there's so many different kinds of Scottish people as well. Because mm. you've got lowlands and highlands and then you've got the outer islands and then you've got the highland and islands so everywhere is different and i think the more that we kind of educate people on that because it's the same with england i mean england's not just all one kind of english you all have your own individual things that you have that makes england great Mm -hmm. whether you're in york or whether you're down in London or whether you come from Bath or Kent or you know the Lake District everyone has a uniqueness to them and essentially it's nice that we're able to now kind of educate people that Scottish you know wherever you are in Scotland there's always a sort of we have a trait we have this beautiful trait of wherever we come from we kind of take it with us wherever we go and we kind of spread it around and I Mm. think that's great um I've, I've gotten to see that for myself. I came from down from Shetland and I've lived in Aberdeen. I've spent time in Aberdeen. I've spent time in Kirkcaldy and Dundee. And I've then mm. I lived in Glasgow for a number of years and all around Glasgow, which is Glasgow in itself is like an, an entire country of different kinds of people that you get to meet with all different kinds of sense of humours and backgrounds. And then I, I moved into Stirling and, and that was... That was a pretty incredible experience too. I must admit, I, I loved the uh, the way things worked in, in Stirling and and how Stirling is actually in general with their people are very sort of uh, they're very talkative, very friendly, very welcoming. It's, it's really a great place to visit. Mm. Um, so we we're going to be releasing this um, in the last week of October, and I noticed that you've got a book coming out called. The Duke's Family for Christmas. Can you tell us a little bit about that and I what have, yes. inspired in, in, you to write it? 
Um, it's uh, the the latest one that I've finished, and it's uh, it's a, a it's a, a Christmas. It wasn't originally going to be set at Christmas, but it just fitted so well um, about a duke who's who's had a rather cold upbringing, um, uh, meeting a young woman. I don't want to give the plot away too much, uh, but they. It's he, he wants to reclaim his son and the young woman that, that he meets has to really teach him a little bit about family life. And it just seemed that Christmas, although Christmas yes. in the Regency wasn't really like we know it today, um, it was there were some Christmas traditions like decorating the house. So it, it was an idea to to get this, this, the heroine to in, uh, induct him into family life, more more gentle family life and enjoying the Christmas traditions of, of uh, the, well, it wasn't so much carol singers as wassailers. Um, but it's set, it's set in, in yeah, of course. Somerset and then in uh, Yorkshire. So they travel quite a bit. There's quite a journey in it. Um, and it, it was great fun to write after doing yeah. the Highland ones. Which I, I were... like the idea of going to see Yorkshire. Yes. <laughs> well, I lived for nearly 30 years in Yorkshire, so it's somewhere that I know quite well. And uh, I I do love it. It's just that... So is it we... a bit like a homecoming novel where you get to come home to it? Yes. Yeah, it's it's lovely to, to go back there. It's just that Scotland Scotland captured my heart, so we had to move here. So, uh, um, but I yes, it's I find writing books in set in England um, because I've been immersed in the history for so long. It's possibly slightly easier. So. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, mm. and I, I know Scotland welcomes you with open arms and would be more than happy to have you uh, within our <laughs> our beautiful country and. Uh, I know that for sure. I know Thank the you. authors up here would be very delighted to see you at the Romance Conference in Edinburgh and to, to make you a part of our, our community up here. Well, I can't make the, the conference this year, but it's something... And I, I do really look forward to that one. Yeah, I should. I've certainly made, uh, met um, lots of authors because I'm a member of the Society of Authors and there's a Scottish branch. Uh, which part of it meets in, they meet in Inverness, one section sometimes, uh, and also the Romantic Novelists Association. Yes. And they have a a, a Scottish branch. So we, I, I do keep in touch with authors locally, which is lovely. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely home now. I, I can remember if I actually am still in, uh, in the Romance Society in Scotland. I know... I was in America um, mm. for the longest time because I've been writing for over 10 years and I've had quite a few stuff published. Um, but it's, I always find it's very difficult to keep track of what what group you're in or what group you're, you know, you're sort of talking to, mm. especially if you're really knee deep in a novel or your head deep in a novel because you, everything but the novel, you know, exists. Nothing but the mm. novel exists and it's, yeah. you know, you're... You're in there. Is I, I don't like to say you're in it to win it, but 
I can't think of a better saying, really, because you go in there and you're telling these this story and you've got to keep going until it's finished. So you kind of forget about the world outside. And I think it's awful because I have a terrible habit of forgetting. Oh, what romance group am I supposed to be talking to? <laughs> and I just sort of get really into my own world, um, as, as, I sh- as I'm sure you do as well. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I've missed... I've missed so many conventions, I couldn't even count. But um, I do try and sort of say, can I keep up with everybody on Facebook and sort of talk to everyone on Facebook? And mm-hmm. I like I like networking with people and talking to them when I'm having periods of where I'm waiting for an editor to finish edits or trying to hide from an editor because she wants edits returned and I maybe doesn't certainly <laughs> not happy with what I've written and I'm trying to figure out a better way of putting it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I, and I have to say, you work for a company that a lot of UK authors, new writers, old writers who've been around for a long time, we all kind of aspire to write for one day. We all dream to write for one day. Um, and for me in particular, I am about to submit and I'm, I'm nervous. Um, so could you tell us what a what is it like to be an author from Mills and Boone and to sort of almost live the dream that, that most of us young writers kind of have? Uh, it's, it's difficult. Mills and Boone have been going for a very long time, uh, but they have made their name now. Originally, they, they um, published a much wider uh, selection of books. Now they tend to focus on the on the romance, but it still there are very uh, a, a quite a lot of categories within that. They've they've got the modern and the medicals, um, and lots and lots of different types of books. But the historicals, which are the one that I know best, um, there's a lot of authors spread a, around the world who all submit to. Mills and Boone. Um, and the main thing is to be professional. You have to, you know, you, you agree with your editor when you will s- submit a book by. Uh, and the main thing is to keep to that or to give them lots of, of course. notice if you can't. It's it's no different from any other job from that point of view. You have to, they, they do like authors who write more than one book. You know, you, you don't want to write one and then say, well, I'll come back in 10 years. Yeah, and I, I like that idea, yeah. Mm. Um, but it's, they're, they're lovely to work for. They're very, uh, their authors, uh, their editors, rather, uh, are all very friendly, very helpful. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's that much different from writing for any of the main publishers, except that they do publish a lot of books so you you know uh, and if you can write for a year uh, for contemporaries or even if you could write for historicals uh, as long as they're good enough they'll take them so yeah and I, I think it's giving um, people a lot more hope I think as a young writer because I think it's the publishing world is very daunting Um I've been in indie now for for ten years. So mm-hmm. in indie, there's so much that's put on you as the author, and it 
is very interesting, I think, because you're you are very much aware of marketing responsibilities on you, knowing how you're going to sell a book is on you. Sometimes even trying to decide whether or not you should even write a second book now is on you. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're in with someone like Mills and Boone, you can come to them with a very steady plan of, you know, the style that you want to write and they can see how you're going to write it and they can see that you're sticking with their brand and what they're trying to achieve, then you have a great home and you have a great place. And Mm -hmm. I know some of the editors there and they really are, I would say, some of the best editors, welcoming editors I've ever had the opportunity to meet. And I think that's why I I aspire to one day be a Mills and Boone girl. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, fingers crossed that I, 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 do it with this one um but no i think it's amazing to to be able to write and uh to share these stories in such a way that you can and for me i'm very prolific but i have a tendency i struggle to stay in one genre so i think that would be slightly more my challenge at mills and boone because i might you know write too heartwarming and then i'd be like oh what I fancy doing a medical or I fancy going and doing a modern or well, there's, mm, I, I quite I, fancy going and writing you know yeah, I don't a historical so I don't think they'd object to that if you had a, a different book as long as it fitted their one of their categories they might be quite happy but uh, it's something that they, they do um, you know you can discuss with them um, but the main thing about yeah. submitting to Mills and Boom um is that if the more information you get back, uh, it's don't take it if, if they reject your book, but they send you reasons why, it could well mean the more information you get, the more it means they, they like it. They're not going to put a, in fact, I think it's for most publishers. Exactly, yeah. Um, they're not going to put a great deal of effort into a rejection letter if there's no way they'll take that book. You know, they'll they'll probably politely say it's not for us. If they say it doesn't work because of this, this or this, then you look at it and think, if I change this, this or this, they may well take it. And sometimes as an author, that's difficult because it's your baby that you've sent out. And um, to have someone, it it feels like criticism, but sometimes it's just little tweaks that are needed to make it fit in with, what they're looking for and what they think will make it a great book. So um, the main thing is not to be disheartened. Yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky. I Yeah, and uh, they, they really are good at, like, sitting with you and going through with you what it is that maybe is wrong with your book. And mm-hmm. if you could figure out a way to fix it, then, you know, it is something that you can take on. I... The only the book that I got, um, I sent them was a, one I put a lot of effort into. I was a I'm a very big fan of Grey's Anatomy, and uh, I'd written this story about this young doctor who wants to get into diagnostics, and I had done all my research, and I'd put together this really good story, and she falls in love with the guy that's head of the department, and of course I didn't realize that there was pirate elements to falling in love. I thought if you just fell in love, you just fell in love. Um, And they came back and they said, 
there's a power differentiation in your novel and unfortunately um that's not going to work for us and uh, i was just i've never published it anywhere else I've, I've always said it's it's it was my mills and boone book but i could never figure out a way to fix that and uh, i had set it up so that i could have done four different books with these different characters who fall in di- love with different members of this hospital but it was the first one just the fact that it was a young junior doctor who falls in love with the consultant just to them was a power struggle and Mm. they couldn't get over that and still to this day I have not figured out how I'm going to fix that like what would be the way to fix that so maybe one day if I can figure out how to change that so that it works (laughs) without the power differentiation um I will definitely resubmit it but I I have not quite gotten that far with it yet Mm. Well, it's it, you never throw anything away. You hang on to it. But we all have books that uh, are sitting in a cupboard somewhere because they didn't quite make it. So you're not alone with that one. Yeah, and I mean, I never thought that that would be an issue um, because at that time I was slightly neat. I had not really paid a lot of attention to the Me Too movement. Mm. So I was a little behind on, on certain things. And I was not aware of what they call power struggle when people are falling in love and at work and it's your boss and how that might affect your relationships and stuff. So maybe I was just a bit young and naive and thought, well, had some sexy consultant falls in love with junior doctor, it must happen in real life. Um Unfortunately, I didn't realize that that wasn't acceptable anymore. So, but yeah, I mean, I I felt really delighted because originally the editor I spoke to was Joanne Grant, and she is, you know, she consults and she helps writers, mm. you know, get their work up to snuff for submitting to Harlequin, and she she sent me pages upon pages of, of different things that she liked and she didn't like and she thought I could fix and I could change and I thought wow this woman's taken a good chunk of her day to sit and go through this novel mm. and decide if we could just do this this and this and then sadly by the time I'd gotten all these tweaks changed she'd left and uh I didn't get that reject I didn't get a detailed rejection the second time okay. I just got a were not interested and I, I was I was so gutted I just remember feeling my my the bottom of my stomach drop out and I was yeah. just like oh okay <laughs> but it has not stopped me I'm probably one of the most um, annoying authors for that reason I'm very determined very yeah, you driven. have to be um, to get I think, to be a published you know, if author I ever did work for them yeah, you, be a have lot to of be, you have to be determined if you're a published author um because you will get knockbacks and, you know, then and once you're published, then you get bad reviews or you get criticism. So, you know, you've got to be determined to carry on. I don't read the reviews for that reason. No, that's not. I learned that very early on in my career. Don't read the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had, you know, reviews. I, I got trapped because when I... I released a novel, uh, I was set up 
with a bunch of groups with Goodreads and it just happened to go wrong. You know, there was it was given to people that it wasn't their cup of tea, wasn't their mm-hmm. genre, and I kinda got just slated mm-hmm. would be a good way of putting it, because it just wasn't their kind of thing. And I learned in that week that my skin had to get a lot tougher. Mm. I never responded to any of them. I just, um, I liked their comment because I, you know, their reviews because they had taken the time to, to, to at least write that they didn't finish it. Yeah. And uh, I did look to see why they hadn't finished it and things like that. I was very, very professional about it. And my, I remember my indie author saying, wow, if that had been one of my other authors, they'd have been on the phone screaming and crying and having a hissy fit. And I said, no, I said, because, you know, I if it's not for them, it's not for them. And I was very calm and kind of very collected about it. And um, I think I think that made me that day. I, I realized then that I will always love sharing my stories. And even if they don't like it, I've still done it. It's mm-hmm. an achievement for me. Um, and when you get to kind of know my struggles, I think that that's what makes it super important Mm. um how do you i mean how was it for you when you first wrote your novel for melson bin was there was there nerves inside of you when you when you like handed it in were you excited there's always nerves what was your thought process going into it i just um the last one was possibly book 36 or 37 i can't remember for them and I'm just as nervous now sending it off as I was for that first one. Um, it's, I think, I'm not wow. so nervous now that they'll reject it out of hand, um, but they they may want a lot of changes. So, you know, uh, you always have nerves on it. So, yeah. It's- well, I, th- I think that's incredible because a lot of authors will, you know, sometimes say, oh, I don't get those nerves anymore. And I think to myself, you've got to have a little bit of nerves because I know for me, like anytime I've been published a lot and I know different places that will publish me and I don't really necessarily have to worry about rejection. But at the same time, I still get those butterflies. Mm. I still get that awful feeling in my gut that they're going to turn around and say, this needs changing or that needs changing. I, I don't think it ever goes away. And for me, it's kind of like an excitement roller coaster. Do you feel that too? Yes. Like you get that, oh, yeah. that sort mean, of like uh, feeling that you're going up and up and up and up and up and you just don't know whether you're going to fall or, yeah. or go higher? Every every book is is exciting when you start it. And then when you finished it, it's exciting to, to see if you can sell it, if somebody wants it, which is always brilliant. Um and uh, yeah, I I don't think if I if I didn't get the nerves, then I wouldn't be putting in my my hole into the book. I think, yeah, you know, it's uh, it just feels that exactly. It, I, yeah, I really don't want to get complacent about the writing. I need to need to stay on edge about it. Yeah, of course. So, what what would you say your ultimate dreams are for your books like do you have sort of like in your mind a dream of what the books will achieve or do you have an overall dream in your mind 
as an author of where you would like to be in the future? Um, no, I, I, I think my main, my main concern is to keep being published. It helps. Uh, and to keep, or, or just to keep writing the books, because I have, I do publish a few under another pseudonym uh, of Melinda Hammond, but those are all independent books. You know, I, I publish them myself now. Um, but I do like writing yeah, the, the historicals for Mills and Boone, and I, I'd like to continue it. The, the reason I started writing years and years ago, uh, my aim, my dream then, was to have enough books published so that I would have some to read later on, you know, a, a, a shelf full of books that I really wanted to read. I love that. Um, and I have that now. I have a shelf full yeah, of books, I love but that. I still have more to write. So whether I will ever reread them all, I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it, the books have to be written. It's, You've it's opened a need, that door you know? and now you just need to see where it leads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I know that feeling. I, I wanted the same idea. I actually had the very same idea. I wanted to have stories that, I could look back on and I could reread because there wasn't stories that I wanted to read. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of sports romance back in the day. And, and I'd still think today there's really not that many sports romance novels out there. And I just wanted to present a different element of that to everybody. And I wanted to be able to sort of say to my son and daughter, Hey, look, I created this or I helped this genre explode and this is all the books mum wrote and you know that's that's my legacy to them I want them to inherit my huge book collection and mm -hmm. all their mum's books and for them to know that hey mum did this you know I have everything she she went on and she did this she could have just been a housewife and not done anything but no she she decided she would be a writer and she put mm -hmm. everything she had into it so I like that. I, th I feel like we share that in common between the two of us. I, I think that's awesome that we both had the same idea on that. Mm. So we're going to move into the book portion of this podcast, which I always enjoy because I feel like this gives me an endless list of books to add to my TBR because I'm always looking for a new fantastic read to get me excited. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like I, I give the same back. So we're going to talk about books that you've been reading or you've read recently. And the first question to open up that conversation is, what is the book that you've read recently that stuck with you the most? Um, I, I think recently I've had my head down in uh, writing my own for so much that I haven't read that many books this year. Uh, but the one I did read, it's the, the author right. is a must read for me. Um, was Millie Johnson, Woman in the Middle. And it's, it, I, oh, I'm not sure, maybe it's to okay. do with my age now, but she's, and situation, but she, uh, the story is about a woman who is sort of caught between her aging relatives and her young family and trying to work out her own life in the middle of it. Um, and it, it sounds as though it could be very grim, but Millie Johnson is always a very good writer and uh, can bring humour into anything. 
and I, I just love all her books anyway. They're always a must read when she has one out. So. Yes, you, you've got me secretly making a note uh, to, to get them because that actually sounds like something my mum would really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to find her a book that she, you know, she would read. Um, it, it could be quite difficult. She, she's read quite a lot and, and mm-hmm. to find her one that sort of um, she hasn't read is, I always find interesting. So you said it was Millie Johnson stuck in the middle? Uh, the, the woman in the middle. It's called The Woman in the uh, Middle. Okay, I wanted um, to make sure I got that one right, yeah. yeah. But her her books are always, they're always about I, I, northern, I think she would like it, yeah. northern people. Um, she's uh, a Barnsley lass and uh, she writes about, she's a fictional uh, village somewhere on the edge of Barnsley, I think, where a lot of her books are written. Um, but the, her her way of writing is, I just love it. I just love the way she she puts books together. Um, and it, it's strange I because I read that it's one. It's great and to have I, a writer like that. Well, I I followed it up with uh, a Veronica Henry book um, called The Impulse Purchase, and I didn't realise it when I bought it. Well, I bought it on impulse as well, having seen a little bit about it. But this is a, a woman who, um, on impulse, buys uh, an old pub. And does it up with her, her daughter and her granddaughter. Uh, so it's about three three generations. In fact, there's there's a fourth as well. Uh, but it's mainly the three generations of women oh. in the same family. Very very strong, but slightly different characters. Um, which was it. It was just strange that I had these two books. Uh, read them one after the other about uh, the three gen, you know, the this, the generation thing about women. Um, so it was, yeah. But that's another. That was another good book. Very different, but sounds uh, good. It's, it, it, so yeah, yeah. It sounds like you you had a sort of a need to be filled in a certain area. It, and maybe it may that's well have been. It, I mean, I I tend I tend to, that, to buy books that on series. Yeah, I buy books on serendipity. You know, I read, see something, um, and yeah, I have. I've read a few of Veronica Henry. I haven't read all of hers, uh, but the Millie Johnson. I just, I just know that when I pick them up, I will read it to the end. So, which is always a good sign. That's good, and I think that's incredible because, for for me, like I have. I have novels for certain periods of my life. Like if I need a, a good kick me up my bum and get me writing book, I pick up Catherine Cookson. Mm-hmm. If I need a book to get me through a really sort of, if being in hospital, for instance, I'll take a Rachel Kane with me or I'll take a Leslie Pierce. People I know that I can just read, get lost in, forget about where I am, forget about what I'm dealing with and isn't going to give me nightmares when I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I've also learned don't take brand new authors I've never read before into hospital with me because it can spook me. As I discovered, <laughs> I got sent an arc um, for Fiona Cummings mm-hmm. and she did um, Bone, sh- I think it was Bone Collector. And I yeah. was nervous the entire time I was in the hospital because the serial killer was the janitor. <laughs> and there was uh, there was these two janitors that used to come to the ward all the time. And I, I was always nervous. I was like, 
Is this guy always here? You know? Um, so I made that yeah. mental note of don't yes, that, take I new can authors, imagine that would spook books you. Books who didn't read the blur above into the hospital. Yeah. Yes, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was have, like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do have my comfort books, comfort reads. So, you know, the people that you, books that I reread tend to be Georgette Hare mainly because um, that's, you know, the, her. She is the best on Georgian and Regency, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, and I I still reread them. My copies are falling apart. I've had to buy one or two fresh where they've broken so so much. But uh, I don't reread. I've been too busy to reread them recently. But if yeah, I need I... if I need to escape and I need a comfort read, that's probably who I'd go to. And I think I think we've all been through so much with covid that we mm. all kind of need that um that level of comfort that escapism yes so yeah. that we can feel like we're safe and secure with everything mm. that's been going on did you find it more difficult to write during the pandemic or was it not not an issue for you no i, I found it incredibly hard and lots of my author friends uh found it difficult as well um was very necessary because it's good to you but it was harder to get into the book and sort of cut out the real world um but once once i was in the book i was like that too yeah but um yeah i I just find it much more difficult to you know it you tend to think what the hell am i doing there's all this horrid stuff going on in the world why am i wasting my time writing writing a romance and then you you think well no this is providing escapism for other people who need uh who need that get out that comfort that escape so it's just, it's you know it is quite necessary to do it's I, I know that from the feedback i get from people so it is um but it, it can be difficult to to and that, and that was um that was a big push for this mm. yeah yeah and that, that that was another reason that I I did um, I did this was because I wanted people to have that thing that they could plug, you know, put on if they had like chores to do, driving to do, if they just wanted to lock the world out for an hour or two and just get away. And yes, I know my podcasts are a bit long because some of them are an hour and a half, and I think I've got one that's two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. But it's good because you're listening. To two authors having a conversation, tackling topics that don't get discussed really at these conventions or events. And it's it's great because you get to be that sort of fly on the wall. You get to learn about all these different books out there that you'd never otherwise have heard of. And it's a great experience. And I, I don't I don't just go to established publishing houses and take people on from there. I have brand new authors that are coming into the industry for the very first time this year or ones that have had releases and they're just trying to find their feet because the pandemic changed everything, Mm -hmm. everything about marketing, everything that we knew. And I just wanted to give everybody that platform, that safe platform to talk and to just kind of get back into life as an author and and what we what we have to do and and yes we're not very you know we're very isolated when we write but it feels different when you're in a situation where you're forcefully isolated rather than Mm. choosing to isolate yourself and that made it difficult for me to write i must admit and 
being stuck in a house with people that didn't understand how uh, writers operate or how how a writer's routine might work um, made it harder, a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I was staying with my mum and I had this great writing routine and my husband knew it and he knew exactly how to not interrupt me or disturb me. Um, however, my mum did not and every five minutes that she was home, I got interrupted or every five minutes my dad was home, I got interrupted. So mm-hmm. I had to learn to write when they weren't around, um, which was actually a lot more difficult than I realised it was going to be. But mm-hmm. it's great. And I think at least now we've got this place that if something like COVID happens again, you know, the podcast's done remotely, everybody's safe, and we still get to have a good conversation, a good cup of coffee and, and a, or, or a tea if, if that's what you like. And, and, and just a chat, just mm. a nice socializing chat. And I think I think that's really important at this time. Who do you wish that if you had time, you could just sit and enjoy? If you could just choose a, an author or a series, who would you pick uh, to sit and read? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm going to choose two. <laughs> Uh, because I love Jane Austen. Okay. I love Jane Austen, but a she didn't write very many. Um, I don't have I don't have that much time for rereading sure. them now. I mean, I I possibly know them very well, uh, but um, I'd love to sit down and just savor the 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 language that she uses and the, the her her way of writing. Um, and and the other one is Georgette Hare because I I loved her books when I was younger. I've read them all several times, but I would like to sit and read some again. It's just now, at the moment, there seems to be quite a lot going on in my life and uh, a lot of books that I want to write. And I I tend not to read hair if I'm writing a Regency because I don't want to mix up the two voices. Sorry. So I tend to read anything but uh, historicals okay. yeah, when I'm writing. I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's who I. Have you I tried would... Mary Bunton? She was the. No, I don't think uh, so. she's um, the original inspiration to Jane Austen. Mary Bunton was. Uh, you see a lot of her sarcasm and her wit kind of comes through mm-hmm. it, and you actually see a lot of her writing techniques in Jane. Right, and she, yeah. you know. She was a, a Scottish author from Orkney, and she wrote a book called Self Control, and it was self control that actually inspired Jane to to go on and write. Um, and I didn't know about that until I did a Jane Austen course on future learning, mm-hmm. and it was it was really interesting because I learned a lot of things I didn't know, and I got to kind of appreciate Jane in a totally different way in a different manner. So. Um, if, you're, if you'd like to kind of experience Jane, but yeah. you want something fresh, you can always try her. I just, I've just written down the name. I shall look it up and uh, look her up later. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. <laughs> what author do you sort of wish that if you had the chance to sit down and have a cuppa with, and just have a chat, or even a dinner with, and just talk, who would it be and why? Um, I yeah, 
I've, I've, I've been asked this question before and it, it varies. I think um, one I would really like to sit down and talk with is Anne Cleves, who wrote the Shetland series and Vera, uh, and she's just started another series. I um, I love the, the Shetland series is the one that grabbed me and it's her sense of place that she puts in into her books. Uh, she's yeah. done it again with the, the new series, which is set in Devon, um, and Vera, which is in the uh, northeast. Um, yeah, I, I have heard her talk, uh, I, I, but I would also like to, it would be nice to sit and have a, a good chat with her, a good in-depth, uh, and it may happen one day, I don't know, but it would be nice to actually talk to her about her her writing experience and how she how she manages to get this this because it does sound as though she spent years and years or grown up in Shetland or grown up in the northeast and um and in Devon and you think how not everybody can do that you can live in an area for years and you never get to know it that well so it's a gift that she has as well as her you know the characters I think, that she draws I think Shetland um I think Shetland rubbed off on Anne because mm-hmm. Anne actually wrote for a while. She was in Shetland for a while and mm-hmm. she was surrounded by islanders, everyday islanders. Some of them were writers, some of them weren't. Mm-hmm. And I think they gave her that kind of understanding of self of place because it's it's a lesson that us Shetlanders go through. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because yeah. it's one of the things that... I was glad she took away from the island. Islanders kind of have two things when we leave. We have a little bit of elastic that's attached to our rear end so that we always go back in we always go back to Shetland. Mm-hmm. Right? We never get to stay away too long. We always end up going back. <laughs> it's very annoying, very frustrating, but yes, we always end up going back to visit. Um and for me when I was growing up, my nan was like, this is your place. And she sort of explained what that meant. She says, look around you. Look at your family. Look at what you, your life has. Yes, you have this crippling disease, but look at the amazing things you do have. Appreciate your surroundings. She taught a lot of really, I at the time thought it was tough lessons. Tough, you know, mm-hmm. to understand as a child. But actually... She was teaching me to have a sense of self and I bring that into my writing where all my characters have this fiery sense of self mm. and self-worth and self-belonging. And I always hope that people feel like they've, they've grown up with the characters and they, they've lived with these characters all their lives. But I feel like that is something that if you spend a lot of time in Shetland, even if it's just for a year or two years, you come away with that. Mm. lesson that's sort of rubbed off on you and that lesson of self self-place and and, and appreciating where you are and appreciating to some extent in the highlands as well and we've we've just done um uh, a tour of the outer hebrides and it was there i could i could feel it there the there's something about it may be because of the the space and the the wildness of the uh of the islands, um, as well as, of course, the self-sufficiency mm-hmm. and, and Shetland being so much further away must find that e- must be even 
even stronger. Uh, the self-sufficiency that you have to have. It's very, um, very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I know Shetlanders find it incredibly difficult because if that fairy doesn't come in, mm. then we are relying on the local farmers. And for yeah. so long, the local farming community has been dying mm. and dying. And I think, you know, they're not as self-sufficient now as they once were. We still have the milk, we still have the fish, we still have some people that sell veg um, that they've grown, a lot of people grow their own, mm. but there isn't that self-sustaining your own life as there once was. Um, and I think that's maybe just because it's, you know, generational change and, you know, situational yeah. change, the way that we've had, you know... I think Farmers all, go bankrupt because yeah, we, of the different depressions we've had and everything. Yeah, we all expect so much more out of life now, I think. Um, to to live on, on oats and potatoes and root vegetables. Is, I have um, uh, an organic veg box delivered. Um, there's It's a local farm uh, that do these organic veg boxes. Yeah. But I know compared to... Uh, other places further south, it's quite the it's quite a, a narrow um, range of foods that they can supply because you can't grow it up here without having huge yeah. polytunnels and things. So um, you know, the, and I have I bought books. Well, polytunnels are quite dangerous. Sorry, I have bought books on on polytunnels are very dangerous in Shetland. <laughs> well there's there's the history of of Scottish food and um you know it it, it was mainly just oats because there was you know and uh, um and you had your cattle so you might take the blood from the cattle um just like they do in in some african countries these days you couldn't if you you could only eat what was available and now with with food being shipped in from all around the world yeah. Our, our tastes have changed, our expectations have changed. Um, it's something about writing historicals. You have to, you have to look and see what was available at the time. It's no good. You, you, know, you can't, you can't give an 18th century person, um, uh, I don't know, raspberries in January. It just doesn't work, you know. So you, you've got to look and see what was no, available. It doesn't, yeah. And uh, you you do learn a lot about the history of a place yeah. from that. It, it's weird because one of the things I did actually focus on when I was doing uh, Finding the Viking Princesses was the food mm -hmm. and the weather. And I think one editor that I had given the project to said, why are you serving this young girl fish and milk? And I said, well, back then, that, that's what they gave young children was fish and milk because it had the most vitamins and protein and everything that they needed was in that dish. And kids were not picky back then because they knew if they didn't eat what they were given, they starved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, that was my first realization that maybe I had hit upon a staple. And hearing you talking about that as well, it's a... It almost reassures me that the steps I've taken down that historical route is maybe more 
correct than I thought. Like you've given me that kind of hope that I've I've, I've been mm-hmm. ticking the right boxes as I'm going along. Um, my story isn't romantic; it's very adventurous. But you've made me kind of a little bit more secure, I would say, in, in my journey <laughs> with with the way that you mentioned that. So thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate that. What authors, past or present? have influenced you, inspired you both to read, but also to write? Um, past and present, mainly in the, because I write historicals, it's probably mainly in the past. Uh, I think discovering Jane Austen as a teenager was um, one of the, the highlights. Uh, before that, one of the first books um, yeah, of course. The adventure books that I really loved were the Biggles books by Captain W. E. Johns, which are uh, First and Second World War aircraft oh. books. You know, they're adventure stories. Yeah. Uh, and it was they were yarns mainly, supposedly for boys, but you know they they were just easy to read, adventurous. Um, well written. They, it was your your archetypal page turner, um, with some really great characters, a bit of humour, a lot of adventure, uh, and always a satisfying ending. And I think that's you know that's something that that holds true that's today. Want, that's though. what people want from a book. So, um, so yeah, those those were the sort of the first ones, and then yeah. As I grew older and I discovered Georgette Hare, uh, the, the her Georgian and Regency books, um, I loved them. Once once I'd finished reading them all and in the 70s, when she died, I'd read everything. And then I thought, I need to write this because I can't find anybody else who, who does the same. So I'm going to have to write my own. And that's when I started writing. So. I mean, I was writing things before that, but not the I love not, that. not the Georgian and Regency that that I actually love. So, yeah. Do you think that that you maybe will try other genres later in your life now that you've kind of discovered writers like Anne Cleves and sort I've, of those um, amazing writers? I did try. I tried writing a, a contemporary once but I've uh and it turned into well I've, I've written two but they're both dual time they had to have a, a link with history um both as uh Melinda Hammond oh, one okay. was Moon Shadows which is um a woman who is haunted by a, a, a 17th century 18th century rake um and how it, you know, it was meant, it was meant oh, wow. to be a contemporary right, yeah. love story. And then I found that this it, it worked better to have the dual time and have this uh, sort of ghostly, ghostly figure. Yeah. Uh, and the other one sounds amazing, actually. Uh, um, they're they're both. I've both published both of them as Melinda Hammond on on Amazon. Um, the other one is Casting Samson, which is. Uh, it was a story of a village fate, but it's tied up with the finding out something about the church and links with medieval the medieval village, um, and part of it goes actually goes back uh, to the Crusades. So I had to, you know, I had to put different things in. I had oh, to I like that. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of subtitled that one, The Vicar of Dibley Meets Ivanhoe, because that's what it was. It was a modern day village fate story, small village with very quirky characters, um, but also to do with the Crusaders. Yeah. So, which, so they were they were slightly different, but I everything yeah, seems to have a little historical edge, if I'm writing it. So. That's great. And it's, it's good to hear that you kind of always had that feeling of where, what genre you were going to write in and where you were going to go. I think that's very kind of like encouraging for a lot of other writers out there too. So what time would you visit if you could go back in time? And if you could go back in time, would you go back as a writer? Would I go back as a writer? Um, Oh, probably not. Yeah, so uh, you can observe and take notes and write stories. Um, I think I'd, I'd love to go back to the Georgian times, but only if I could be a woman of independent means, um, which would narrow the field oh, okay. quite a lot. Because there's being a woman in Georgian times, there were some strong women, but mostly they had to have some money. Uh, behind them so otherwise they they just had nowhere to go so yeah it would be interesting but I I, I've read enough about it to know that it would quite be be quite uncomfortable as well um you know even just just the idea of getting toothache I I think it would be but it would be an experience yeah it would be an experience yes yeah I think as writers, we all like to have that experience. Have you tried doing the, um, there's this little holiday that you can do and you go down to Bath and you live for seven days in the clothes and in the, in the time period as Jane. Mm-hmm. So they have these dinners and the dances and you get to almost live that lifestyle for, I think it's a week. And at the end, they have this big ball and you get to wear these big ball gowns and really experience kind of what their lives were like for seven days. And I Mm. I, I like the sound of that, but you still have the same, you still have some of the creature comforts of a decent bed and a toothbrush (laughs) and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's still, I think that's a lovely experience and I I would love to do it, but my Mm. husband is not so keen on it. So. I have. Might I've be, heard might of be it. a time um, where me and the girls save up and go for it. Yeah, I, I like, I like my comforts too much. I think, but I, I do. Um, when we, if we, if we have a, a power cut, and we used to live in an old farmhouse uh, up on the Yorkshire Moors, and we would have power cuts, and once the power was off for about three or four days, so it was candlelight, and it was learning that you cannot yeah. read by the light of one candle but you can read by the light of five and nope. things like that. So, um, you know, you, you can learn a lot by, by doing it. I'd just rather use my imagination and just keep my creature comforts all the time, I think. So very happy with that. Yeah, it's funny you, you, you mentioned the, uh, the candle, I think, because I never actually realised that. Um, when I was staying with a friend and they were out in the country and it, everything went out, Every absolutely everything went out. And they had this gigantic wood-burning fireplace mm. well, burner that they had that kept the house 
you talk about warm it was very toasty it was like being in the mediterranean i think yeah and um we were trying to have fun just by candlelight and and i realized i couldn't read and it was almost like a moment of horror mm-hmm. like wait they, they all talk about reading by candlelight crap there's like there's not enough light with this candle maybe i'm just too blind to read um but i managed to get up into a window because everyone was asleep and i couldn't sleep and i got up into a windowsill and the moon just ha- was just out that night and i mm-hmm. i could just make out the words with the help of the moonlight wow. so i was <laughs> i was saved and relieved but yeah mm. i know what that that means and well, I, uh, I, in my dad's I'm spending wondered, a lot of time in shetland especially my, you, my mom's dad's I old remember. Time. Um, I remember when I was a lot of power cuts. (laughs) But I remember when I was a child reading under the bedclothes with a torch. And then you think, what would an 18th century child do? They couldn't do that. They must, like you, they would have to find a window and read by moonlight. Um, You certainly couldn't put a candle under the bedclothes, could you? So, which would be horrible with (laughs) with our weather, because yeah, our weather has been so horrible that you wouldn't always be guaranteed to be able to do that either, because you know, we get a lot of storms in the UK. Mm. We get a, the moon doesn't always make it quite out. No. So you know, you could always imagine the child sitting on the windowsill, tapping their the little foot on the the windowsill, waiting for the moon to come out, yeah. and it being very obstinate and not coming out, and <laughs> the, the child almost having an argument with it. But then they, perhaps they did more um, storytelling because you know it was something else I I did as a a child i remember yeah. i remember telling stories to friends in the school playground and things so um and i think of myself more as a storyteller than i'm not i'm certainly not a, a literary writer by any means um and i should imagine there was quite a lot of that people would yeah. sit around telling stories to each other Yeah, I mean, I just I just recently did a course, um, which is my BA Honours uh, Open Degree. And one of the things that we actually do talk about is, you know, the fact that storytelling, fairy tales in particular, started in French saloons with women who would sit around and they would try and outdo each other with stories um, in fairy tales, mm. like stories and I almost imagine us as, as kind of like the modern version of those women in the saloons, you know. I would love to have gone mm. back and been been somebody that got to sit in that saloon and tell tell stories and uh, be a part of that. I think I think that would have been a, a version of our writers' retreat or something mm. like that. Well, I, I and I I have the impression that Scotland had a, or certainly the Highlands had had quite a tradition of. Um, at Cayleys and things, someone would tell a story. Uh, and I should imagine storytellers were in, in yes, great demand right. if they were any good. So uh, it, it's a very ancient art. So, yeah. yeah. And when it's like... You know, that we that could be a quality of one of your future heroines. You could have her be, you know, the most desired prize just based on her talent to tell mm-hmm. stories. It's a bit that like could be a, a great uh, concept for you. <laughs> it's an idea, yes. Yeah, I, I, you'll have to let me know if you write that one, and uh, I'll I definitely will, yes. read it. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been a book that you've picked up and you just wished that you hadn't? Um, I think there are probably quite a few. Uh, 
sometimes they're so well written that I feel totally inadequate when I finished it. Um, and there are others that once I pick them up, I can't put them down because I really want to know what happens at the end. Um, one of the, the writers I like for that is Christina Courtney, who writes, I think she does Vikings as well as um, uh, sort of slightly supernatural books. You sold me just by saying Vikings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Nicola, Nicola Cornick, who she started as a Mills and Boone author, uh, but she's she's moved on now. She does historicals and sort of dual time and things. Uh, books, yeah, there are, if I pick up a book and I have to finish it, I'm, uh, Millie Johnson as well is one. Sometimes I know I've got a deadline on my own and I will get up earlier, especially early in the morning, so I can finish her book so that I can then get back to rewriting mine because I know I can't finish until... No, I, I have to finish that before I can get back to my. Until so you know what's happened. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. That's it's a true sign of a reader, mm. a true sign of someone that loves novels and books. Mm. Is if you have to finish it before you can move on to your own thing in your own. Mm. Li- in well, your it has. Life. I, I think I really admire that. It's a sign so we're of going a good into the writing. Well. I have. I there are a lot of Sorry? books I don't finish. So. Yeah, and I, I think for me, like, I I have put down a lot of books. If it's something that personally I, I struggle with or personally I, I don't like. Um, but I, I always find that I'm the same. If I start a book, I always try my damnedest to finish it. Um, but I am terrible because sometimes I get myself stuck in awful situations because I don't read the blurb. Mm-hmm. I always just pick up the book and read it. Um and then you know, I, I get my situ, situ I get into situations where I can't finish it, and then mm-hmm. I, I always feel that. So going into the writing um, section of this podcast, how, how would you go about creating the atmosphere or creating the darker parts of your story? You know, the sto- parts that keeps the heroine and hero apart and kind of makes it almost tense for the reader as they're as they're reading and hoping that the two get together um i think it, it, you can create the tension in a, a lot of ways there has to be some form of external or, or they i like to have the external tension like um very often the the weather can be stormy uh which or or a dark night those sort of things can yeah can cause tension uh and you know yourself, if if the weather's blustery, that can just make you feel just slightly on edge. If it's if it's very grey, overcast, and and blustery yep. outside, uh, and then it's the the characters, their inner feelings. Um, very often, they they they're not sure of they they may be falling in love with the with the protagonist, but. They're not sure of the if if their feelings are reciprocated or or they are positive that they are not reciprocated, uh, and there's there's sort of external yeah. factors keep them apart as well as the internal. I know with romance it tends to be an internal struggle a lot, um, which is very much to do with the character. You have to yeah. 
That you have true. to build it in, like with, with my um, the Duke's family for Christmas. Uh, the, he, the the Duke, this Duke, his father was a, a very, very hard, villainous man. Um, I won't tell you what he did, but he was he was horrid. Yes. Um, and the children were they were left at the 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 house. The the Duke and Duchess were off gallivanting and visiting friends. Spent very little time at home. The children were then sent off to school, and when they went home for the Christmas holidays, because yeah. there were were Christmas holidays, but because it was a religious holiday rather than anything else, uh, and they had no Christmas. They didn't miss it because mm-hmm. they'd never had it. Um, yes. So that that puts him in a, a much more reserved and uh, distant space to the heroine who's been brought up in a very loving family uh, with with loving parents and, and a totally different lifestyle. So there's there's that's going to keep them apart. They have to come together and understand each other. And uh, it's about the, the Duke learning to you know to be to relax a bit and to uh to maybe to find his inner child a little bit so it's also sounds like he needs to learn to trust as well like i think mm. trust is a a part of that like he has to trust that she's she's going to stay there or that the child's not going to be ignored or he's mm. not going to be ignored and forgotten about um I get that sort of sense that you can almost see that layer as well. Mm. And I, I think that's a really good layer to have because it adds to the the struggle that they're having and the struggle that they're, they're going to continue to have really to the, um, till they find that moment of, of true understanding for one another. Um, and I, I really think that's, a, to me, it's really good. To me, it's the foundation of a good romantic story mm. because these are, problems they would have had back then but it's also problems we have now yeah and it transcends times yeah yeah it's 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 a really good uh layered um kind of situation what inspired you to pick the type of romance that you write what what would you say was the driving force for that um it it's very difficult. I I don't really know. I they're not they're not heavy. Well, they are fairly emotional stories. Obviously, to have a romance, you have to have the emotion in it. Uh, but I I like to have an element of of fun in them uh, and adventure. I think it's it comes partly from growing up in a house full of boys. I was very much a and, and in a street full of boys. I, I don't think there was another girl in the whole street. So I was very much a tomboy growing up, which I, I like the adventure. I grew up with you know, uh, war films and cowboys and things. Um, so I do like the adventure of course, stories. Yep. Uh, and then you layer that in with the romance. And it, it just... So I, I think it was to do with upbringing and the, the books I was reading as a child and then to to read Jane Austen and enjoy her wit. I like I like to put in, if I can, a certain amount of, of wit. And then to read Georgette Hare, who, yeah. you know, it, it was true battle of the sexes in a lot of hers. Um, 
with you know the, the the women women having to be i i like my characters to end up they're on an equal footing they're they're they both bring a lot to the partnership if you know what i mean there isn't uh they they're they become yeah, a team that's so yeah so that's the kind of books that i like to to read and the ones i like to write It's, that's a really good answer, and I think so many readers will kind of feel that connection because, you know, it's, it's a similar thing. Like, they're drawn in a certain way because of their upbringing or to a certain genre because of the way that they've sort of been brought up, too. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of people are going to connect to that. So when you put your, your books together, for, for you, is it like a movie or do you get like a jigsaw puzzle that you've got to put together to tell the story? It, it's a bit of a mix, really. It, it's, it usually starts like a movie because I, I can usually, I usually have a, an opening scene that's quite clear in my mind, the, the premise for the story. And I know it's going to have a happy ending, but I've no idea what, how the, you know, what the future scenes are going to be. Um, so it is a bit like a movie where you you, you just you watch it and it it, in, it evolves as as I write it really. But occasionally there are there are jigsaw moments because especially writing historicals there there might be events that I have to put in in certain points. But there will also be um, incidents yeah. in that are vital to the plot that need to go in. And I know they need to go in, but it's where and how I fit them. So it's it's a, a bit of a mix, really. I'm um, I'm definitely what they call a pantser. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I for book. me, it's... I, I don't know where it's. I know I know basically where it's going to end, but I don't know how we're going to get there. Yeah, no, I, they did, that makes perfect sense, and I think a lot of people have a either a mix or they're one or the other so it, mm. it you know i think it's unique to every single writer and i like to ask that because it kind of gives everyone an idea that they're not alone in the way that the, that they themselves are writing so i think that's kind of why i asked that which character have you written that stayed around with you the longest or has hung around the most um since you started your journey um now that one's really difficult because I've I've written so many books now that uh, um, the the characters I like to write the book and then when it's finished I go on to the next one. I think it's it's probably um, Maddie who is in the Laird's Runaway Wife because she was also the heroine in in um, uh, rescued by her Highland soldier. And she is a, a, quite a strong character. She's French, um, who comes to Scotland at about the time of Culloden. But she's she's sort of the daughter of an adventurer, so she's had quite an adventurous life. And then she settles down uh-huh. with her um, her Highland soldier, and then gets involved in another adventure. And I'm I'm not sure she will ever stop. I, I I probably won't write another story now for her, but I feel that she could, unknown to me, get involved in a lot more adventurous things. Maybe it, it will, 
translate into her children. I don't know. That's something for the future. Very well, good, yeah. Mm. yeah. Is there a character that you wish you could have written more about? Um, I don't know. I'm not really too sure. I, I think I like to see them happy. I like to do the story and then I like to see them happy and, and leave them in a happy place and then move on to someone else. So um, most, of, most of my characters I could write more, you know, I'd, I'd like to write longer about them because you've become quite attached to them. But usually by the time I'm finishing up yeah, uh, one set of characters' story, the next characters are, are knocking on the door saying, hey, it's our turn. Come on, you know, we need to get cracking on the next one. Yeah, no, I know that feeling. <laughs> it's quite frustrating, really, because you, you really do yeah, want to, once the book is finished, I want to crack on with a new one. So. See, I have this um, this very annoying character because I've not finished his book. Um, and I take I have to take breaks from him because he, he drives me absolutely mm. insane. But he floats in and out with no matter what I'm writing. So if I'm writing and he gets an idea of something he wants told, he'll just randomly sort of walk across the scene and he'll be like standing in the corner tapping his foot going... I want to speak to you or you need to come write this down or do you know mm. what I mean? So he has probably the biggest book I've ever written simply because of how big his character really is. Mm. But at the same time, it's like he's never quite done with his story. So I, I'm a bit scared to end his story in case he doesn't go away. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I always like asking that question because mm. I just never know, like, you know, if, if somebody else is dealing with the, they're very unharrowed or not. So, yeah. What techniques have you found most helpful and which ones do you wish that you hadn't tried? Um, well, let's take the end bit first. Uh, voice recognition. I did try it um, a long time ago. Oh, yeah, right there with you. Um, but I cannot, I really do not like hearing my own voice um so i do not like trying to mm -hmm. tell a story out loud uh i'm much rather be yep. typing it and i mean i can even i can even type possibly because of being my secretarial training i can copy type so i can type with my eyes closed i sometimes do i don't know if other people do this i, I think other I have heard other authors do it. If I'm well I've into it, yeah. I can, you know, and, and hopefully I hit the right, uh, my fingers are in the right place on the keyboard. Otherwise, it can go <laughs> yeah. up the creek. Um, but no, I, I wrong. take yep. the voice recognition. And of course, doing historicals, there's a lot of words it wouldn't understand. And trying to teach it, I haven't got the patience to teach it anyway. Yep. Um, so... That didn't work for me. <laughs> Mostly, uh, when the the technique when I was when I had a family growing up was just finding finding time, just writing for any half an hour that I could, and you you have to keep the story in your head and just get on with yeah. it. Then now I have a lot more time, and I don't yeah. think I'm any more productive really. But I find I have a timer 
on my desk, uh, just a kitchen timer, and I set it going, and I, I try to do four hours a day. And if by having the timer there, I sit there, and sometimes, you know, sometimes yeah. it can take you a half an hour to get into a book. And because I've got the timer there, it, I, I yep. know I've got to stay until the time is up. Um, so it forces me to stay yes. there and keep going. So that I find is is very useful, um, and post-it notes because I still write a lot of things down, and I can you know I can I can have a sheet of notes and I can use different okay. post-its to to put in little different notes at, at various times of uh, you know that that I need to put in to make the story work to follow to count for plot points and things so so yeah. That's that's two most useful. I find things. that really interesting. Yeah. See, a lot of people they go for because they've they've tried pantsing or they've tried plotting, and those are always the ones that everyone talks about. So it's nice to actually kind of hear <laughs> a different take on that mm-hmm. and a different kind of set that you found interesting and that has kind of challenged you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, so I, I like that. I do. I, I think that's that's well, such, was, such a good piece of helpful advice. Well, there's, there was one I heard recently and I haven't followed it up yet. And it's uh, Val McDermott. Um, I'm not sure whether she's still doing it, but at one time mm-hmm. she, she was writing for 25 minutes, I think it was, and then going away and doing something entirely different. Uh, and she said that that worked for her. Yeah. I haven't tried that yet. I I may well at some stage. Um, but I you know, sometimes I I think if I've only got twenty five minutes, I need to use that time to write anyway. I think if you, I'm fortunate now that I don't have a job yeah. and I don't have young children around. When I did, when those when I had those constraints then the story would have to get written. You, it would be in your head and you had no time, No, there was no chance of writing it, and it had to stay there. So when you did get to the computer, you had to get it down as fast as you could. Um, now I have the luxury of time. So oh, okay. Very, it's much, it is a luxury. Uh, Time's but I'm always not, a good I'm thing. More productive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I do. I find that very interesting because time is is something that we all as authors either sometimes take for granted or we're in a position where we kind of, I don't want to say, we forget just like how how much we actually put in time and effort-wise. And I think I'm slightly scared of trying to be a mother and a writer at the same time Mm. because I'm not quite sure like how that's all going to work um so yeah I I, I'm interested and I I'm slightly um slightly nervous at the same time so Mm. um I think that that's it's good it's good to hear that being discussed and I want to the live portion of the podcast what is the first thing that you do to de-stress from editing and writing? What do you do to go away and clear it all from your mind and just find yourself? Well, the first thing I do is go is usually go and make a cup of tea. 
um, just just go out of the <laughs> office, turn turn away from the office because I I like I'm I'm fortunate that I've always managed to have a, a writing space um, separate from everything else. So go away from that and away from the computer and uh, have a cup of tea and then very often a walk. I, but I find going for a walk can help me find the story as well as uh, as de-stressing after. So, yeah, that, that's it. And I'm very fortunate. Yeah, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a double-edged sword, that one. Yeah, but we, we live by the sea. Um, and I'm very lucky that I can walk out of the house and just, even when it's cold, I can wrap up and just go and look at the, just go and look at the sea. Water is, has a very calming effect. Uh, if it's stormy, it has an energizing effect. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that's the great thing, and that's why a lot of times I miss being by the sea because mm. to me, like, I grew up with sea all around me, and yes. it was a constant, it really was a constant inspiration. Mm. And I loved it so much. Yeah. And even now, like, I get excited about just going down to see it um, when my husband takes me out and he'll take me down to, to beautiful Helensboro for an ice cream or something. Mm. And I just get excited about seeing it because it's a good reminder of why I write so much and why it relights the fire in me, especially if I've been going through a lot. It helps to just remind me of the things that I love to to write and I mm. love to explore yes yeah i i was so, uh, yeah, although I like I, um was born what hobbies uh sorry carry on no no no, no. Y- you carry on <laughs> well, i was gonna say i was um i was born in a city uh in bristol you know in the center of bristol virtually uh but we were lucky enough to have a a caravan by the coast so almost every weekend or every other weekend, mm-hmm. we would be uh, at the beach. And it, it was there was nothing there. I mean, it wasn't very fancy, um, but it was it just gave me a love for the, for yeah. the coast and the sea, which is why I, I wanted, um, although I loved Yorkshire, I wanted to live by the sea and Scotland provided that. So. And it's got the magnificent mountains as well, so it's best of both. It does, and mm. yeah, it's it's got so much to offer, and you can stay in one place, and you can have mountains, mm. you can have ocean, you can have everything just in one area if you you know if you find the right spot for mm. you. And I I always I find that really interesting and and great grateful to have. Um, so yeah. No, I, I'm with I'm with you on that. So, what hobbies do you enjoy, and which ones do you wish you could explore more? Um, hobbies. I think right the the uh, history was was a hobby of mine uh, to start with. So uh, that's and it still is, but it's now so connected with the writing that. Um, I don't think of it as a hobby anymore. I do like playing the piano, not very well, but I like playing it. Uh, and I'd like to explore. I'd like to do that a lot more, but I haven't. 
I I don't think I've got the patience or the time for it. Um, so I just you know I I play around on right. it occasionally. Yeah. So yeah. No, I get that. Uh, for me, I go and I sew, I cross mm-hmm. stitch, or yeah. I diamond paint, or I have a few other things that I'll go and I'll yeah. do. And it's just really good to relax and to kind of find myself mm. and just be me for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why that is, but it just gives me that, that way of detaching myself and just enjoying me and enjoying like the peace and the quiet and all the mm. things that I love um, yeah. so yeah I, that that's what I go and do and I, I find it's really helpful when I have um, writer's block mm. to go and do that it is there like are you somebody that likes to craft um, and if not is there other things that you do to sort of have a creative cleanse um craft no i uh, i like cooking but it's uh, uh, mainly out of necessity to start with because when you've got a family you've got to cook so uh and now we can be a bit more adventurous yeah so i, I like to relax by cooking i can knit and sew um but i don't do it a great deal i did start a jumper at the beginning of lockdown and i finished it at the end of lockdown so I'm not a fast knitter I find I get distracted well, by too many good. other things yeah but uh, I can do these things but they, well you they still did it that, that's something to be proud of yeah 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 I mean my my grandmother was a professional knitter at night eight years old and mm. I think she always drummed into us you know it's like she took on sort of knitting as a way to teach us how to, if you start something, you've always got to finish it. Um, and that was her thing. Like me and my my cousin, we were sort of the fra- frailer children of the family. And so she always kind of took it in her head that we, we needed to be more ladylike and we were going mm-hmm. to live these more um, ladylike lives where we weren't going to, to have as many stresses or any as many worries. So it was really important to her to teach us to sew um, as a form of relaxation and the repetitive movement to calm our minds and and take our anxiety away. And then sort of on the other hand, she was teaching us that um, if you start something, well, you you have to finish it. Mm. Um, And I would say some of my most, I would say some of my best life uh, lessons came from her because she, she did have that tendency to teach me a little bit more about things that I wouldn't have thought about until now, till I'm this age. And, and I kind of look back on all the times that she taught me these different bits and pieces and I kind of feel grateful. I might have hated doing it in the in the moment, but now mm. I'm, I'm very grateful that she took the time to, mm. to teach me. I myself have a, a, a long-term illness um, that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you smell the roses? What makes you enjoy the day? Uh, I think just moving away from the desk and uh, taking taking a little bit of time out. I just find it's important to sit down um, away from everything and just, yeah. just gather your thoughts. 
Uh, I'm no, I don't know what makes me do it. I think it's just occasionally I feel I need to sit down and, and regroup. So, and it usually involves a cup of tea as well. So. That's good. I drink a lot of tea. Yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a, I'm a coffee connoisseur, so I know I know what you mean by that. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite place to crawl up during the day, like your garden, or to go to a cafe, or a reader's nook, to just spend some time with yourself and maybe read, or or just have a moment of peace and quiet? Um, yeah, my my favorite place now is. Um, it used to be when we were in Yorkshire, it was in, there was a chair by the, we had a wood burning stove and curl up in a chair by that would be the ultimate luxury. I used to enjoy that. But now we've got uh, uh, a chair by the window and it actually looks out over the loch um, and it's a sea loch. So it's the, the weather is always changing and the water is, is constantly changing. Um and just to sit there yeah. is wonderful. Very often I take a book and sit there, but most of the time I'm just sort of staring out at the at the the shore and the bit and the water and just looking at the birds flying about. It's it's very calming, very relaxing. So yeah, that's my favourite place. Yeah, I like that. That's just, it's a really really nice place, and it's a really good answer. So now we're going on to the fun part, and this is where all the listeners get excited because they love to hear the sort of weird and wonderful <laughs> answers we've had over the, the show so far. And it's the word game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a list of words, and the first word that comes to your mind or pops up a memory, um, just let us know, and we'll have some fun. So the first word that I have is mint. Oof, toothpaste. Mint. <laughs> I like that mm, toothpaste. <laughs> what about brandy? Brandy, I think of rake. Rake is the first word, as in Georgian libertine rake, because they always seem to drink brandy. Oh, okay. Now you'll you'll not need me to explain this one to you. Um, hot toddy. The hot toddy, the whiskey. Uh, Fire, a cozy fire, mm-hmm. you know, a fireplace. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a, a real living fire, yeah. Hot chocolate. Chair. I think I think hot chocolate and a chair, you sit down okay. and you enjoy that your hot enjoy. chocolate. Yeah, that, that's what comes to mind. Ah, I see where you're going with that, yeah. <laughs> That, that's a really good answer. How about coffee? Friends. I like having friend. I like having coffee with friends. That, yeah. That's what comes to mind. If I'm making coffee, it's a relaxing thing. Yeah. Cinnamon swirls. Christmas. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What about toffee? <sighs> Do you know what comes to mind with toffee is is teeth because they stick your teeth together. So I, you know, 
<laughs> I do like that one. That is a good answer. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what you can Last do. Last but not top, least, it, so. how about meringues? Oh, strawberries. Meringues, meringues I find incredibly I sweet. always think of English summer days with that. Yeah, I, well, I, it would be, wouldn't it? But I always think of meringues topped with strawberries. So, yeah, it's a lovely combination. I, here in Scotland in particular, it's, it's meringues topped with strawberries and fresh double whipped cream and mm. just a little sprinkle of sugar through the the double cream to make it extra sweet and mm. Melty. I don't know. I don't know why they do that, but it makes it it makes it so much better. Well, that's the end of our podcast, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sarah Mallory, and I look forward to spotlighting one of your books in our romance review, which is going to happen in November, and we're going to have several books over the month of November spotlighted and discussed. So I'm looking forward to sharing something wonderful from you with all our listeners and i want to thank you so much for coming on today next week guys we're going to have another amazing uh writer and i can't wait to share them with you but in the meantime have a great week and i will see you again fresh and bushy-tailed on monday bye for now